Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together as we study God's Word, and let us be challenged to apply His truth to our hearts so that we may serve Him faithfully. May God bless you. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that he would depart out of the world, this world to his father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil had, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hand and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garment and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet, And taking his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Let's bow together. Lord, as we have read your word, open our hearts to its truths. Help us, Lord, to see the example that Jesus set before us, an example of humility, of righteousness, and obedience. Help us, Lord, to realize that that's the same life that you want us to live. Lord, help us to realize that there is nothing that can keep us from doing these things other than ourselves. Our own pride, our own desire to be seen as someone important instead of being seen as a servant of Christ. Lord, help us to see these truths and to live them out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in verse uh, chapter 13. Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and half of... Chapter 18, deal with one night. So we're going to be camped out on this one night for quite a while. Jesus is with his disciples in this upper room. They prepared the Passover feast. They are are about to partake of it. And all these things happen around that one Passover feast. Now, what's so important about this Passover feast? Well, in order to have a Passover feast, you have to have a Passover lamb that is sacrificed. And so Jesus, this is kind of a uh, something that the Jewish people did each year, but it brings special understanding 
because Jesus will become that sacrificial lamb. And so uh, he has his disciples in this one place and he's going to be doing some serious teaching with them, trying to prepare them for what is yet to come. So hang on for quite a while. We'll be in this passage for, for quite a while. If you have a Bible that has the words of Christ written in red, you'll notice that for quite a while, just about everything is red letters. So uh, the whole Bible is critically important. But anytime you see the words of Jesus, take special notice of that. So we look, and here we have this scene with Jesus and his disciples. The twelve are there together. Jesus knows them. He knows them intimately. He's the one who called them personally by name to be his followers. And he gave each one of them uh, a task to do, to learn as he ministered. Occasionally he sent them out. We know that from other scriptures that he sent each disciple out in groups of twos. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. And they were able to do miraculous things in the power of Christ. But we also know that there's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of uncertainty. Wendy even shared in uh, her prayer time that fear of the unknown is true fear. There's a there's an anxiety of not knowing what's going to happen next. When is this COVID virus ever going to release itself? When are we going to get back to some semblance of normalcy? What's going to happen next? What happens with this with the new president coming in. There's a lot of unknowns that cause a lot of anxiety. But just as we also said, there's someone greater than us that's in control. God is. We need to trust him in all these things. But in the midst of these 17 verses, we see this wonderful story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And there's really three words that we're going to be kind of focusing on. Humility. Righteousness. And obedience. That's really what Jesus is doing in his own life and what he's trying to teach to his followers, his disciples. We're going to look at really two different sides. First of all, we're going to see what Jesus knew, and then we're going to look at what Jesus did. So what did Jesus know? Look at verse 1, verse, first part. Jesus knew that his hour had come. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come. Now, if you remember throughout the book of John and other gospels, there are many, many times that Jesus was in the midst of others and they wanted to capture him. They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to execute him, but he would slip from their grasp. He would just simply walk away. And every time it would state his hour or his time had not yet come. Even his disciples uh, questioned him sometimes, and he would say, my hour has not yet come. This is the first time that he finally says, my hour, I know that the hour has come. I know that my time has come. He knew that the end of his earthly life was about to take place. Now, how did he know this? Well, there's one thing that we struggle to understand is that Jesus is all-knowing. If you remember back when we were dealing with the death of Lazarus, he's days away. And when the messenger comes and that said that Lazarus is sick, Jesus knew he had already died. It's as, as if Jesus had already been there physically. But Jesus knows all things. He's just like God the Father, all-powerful, all-knowing. 
And we struggle with the all presence part of Jesus in his earthly body. But it was almost like Jesus was with his disciples several days away. And also at the graveside of Lazarus watching him being placed in the tomb. Because he knew it. He saw it in his spiritual mind. So in his own way, he was all present even then. But we know that Jesus knew that his hour had come. He was always about his father's timetable. Jesus never did anything that was out of the father's will. So Jesus was on God's timetable from the exact moment, exact place that he was to be born to the exact moment, exact place that he would die. He was on God's timetable. But he also knew that he was uh, going to return to the father. Look at uh rest of that verse. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the father. And also look at verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things in his hand and that he had come forth from the Father and was going back to the Father. So Jesus knew these things. So people that say that Jesus was afraid of going to the cross and that's why he wept in the Garden of Gethsemane and that's why he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. That's not the case. He was not fearful of the cross. He was not fearful of dying. He knew exactly what was going to happen when he died. He knew that he was not going to die a mere mortal's death. He was not going to die and be placed in a tomb and then his body decay over time. He knew that on that third day he would rise again and that he would ascend back to the Father. He knew where he came from out of heaven and he was going to be going back to heaven. He knew that God the Father had sent him to earth. He knew that God the Father was going to be taking him back into heaven. So Jesus knew that he was going to be returning to God the Father. Look at the last part of that verse in verse 1. It says, Having loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. If you look at the life ministry of Jesus Christ, it was filled with love. Now we wonder, was he loving mankind when he cast the, uh, the people out of the temple? that were money changers and selling livestock and all these different things. Well, he had some righteous indignation by all means, but the entire ministry of Jesus Christ was showing love, compassion, desiring for the best of all people. And he modeled everything he did so that we could follow him and do what his will was. And so, yes, he loved them to the end. But not only to the end of his ministry on earth, but he continues to love us. The Bible says that when he ascended, he went back to the, into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf even today. That's his love for us today. One other thing he knew. Verse 2, he knew all about Judas. Judas was not a surprise to him. Judas' betrayal was not a surprise he knew that Judas would never be one who would truly believe in him. And he knew that he would be the son of betrayal. Look at verse 2. During the supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. And we wonder how in the world did Jesus know these things? Well, John actually recorded it earlier in uh, the scriptures. John chapter 6 verse 64 says, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who would who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. 
From the beginning, Jesus knew that Judas would not believe, and Jesus knew from the beginning who it was who would betray him, Judas. This was no shock, no surprise to Jesus. He already knew it. He expected it. He actually told Judas in a little bit later in the scriptures, go and do what you must. In other words, he already knew what Judas was doing. Matter of fact, Jesus knew that Judas had already gone to the religious leaders. It's not recorded in John, but it's recorded in other gospels. That Judas had already gone and said, what would you give me if I was able to turn this Christ over into your hands? And they promised him 30 pieces of silver. So he already made the deal. He was just waiting for the right time and opportunity to turn Jesus over to the religious authorities. Jesus knew that. That's when, again, Jesus is in control and all the time. And he has to say, okay, Jesus, now's the time. Go and get them. Send them to arrest me. Who's in control of this? Not Judas. Not the religious leaders. Jesus is. So we see what Jesus knew. He knew that his time had come. He knew that he was going back to the Father. He knew all about Judas. But now what did Jesus do? What what Jesus did is very important to us. If you study the life of Jesus Christ, you will see a life of humility. The Son of God, God in the flesh, God with us, took out off his outer garment, girded himself with a towel, filled a basin filled with water, and stoops down on his hands and knees and takes the basin of water and washes his disciples' feet. How many of you have done that? Well, foot washing really is not needed these days. I know that there are certain denominations of churches that still practice foot washing. There's nothing wrong with doing that. It's just that what is what is in this scripture is not just a single act. It is a way of ministry. It is an act of humility. It is the willingness to make yourself nothing in order to minister to the needs of others. That's simply all that this is talking about. So Jesus shows his humility. He takes off his outer garments, puts on the, the towel, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now, we all have heard this message before. As far as I know, I'm, I would be totally shocked if any of you had not heard this story about the foot washing. But you have probably also heard that this was a task that was relegated to the lowest servant, more likely a slave that had to do it because his master told him he had to. And so it was the most humiliating service that one would do. Now, why? Because it places you down at the feet of the one that you're serving. That is a sign of servitude, that they are greater than you are. So why would Jesus do that? Is he, is, are any of his 12 disciples greater than he is? No. But it's a symbol of humility. A sign that says, I am able to make myself nothing so that I can minister to the needs of others. See, 
is there's this disconnect in our world. There are those who sit in their ivory towers and command what others under them have to do. Then there are others who have a servant mentality who look up and see the world in front of them and say, how can I minister to them? Instead of telling others what to do for you, you're doing what needs to be done. That's what Jesus did throughout his entire ministry. Look at all the examples through the scriptures. Jesus reached out and touched the lepers and healed them of their disease. Something no one would even dare do to touch, become ceremonially unclean by touching a leper. He met with a Samaritan woman at a well, an outcast of society, and he talked to her, and he witnessed to her, and he gave her the water of life, and she became a believer of Christ Jesus. How many other times did Jesus humble himself, take the role of a servant, and minister to needs that no one else would minister to. Now, are you getting the picture? Are we followers of Christ? Are we, or do we just take this and say, okay, Jesus did that. That's, a, that's, that's pretty neat. But I'm not doing that. I'm not going to abase myself. I don't, I don't want anybody to look at me like a, 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 a doormat and to walk on me. One thing for Jesus to do it, but I'm not doing that. Well, why not? If we're not willing to humble ourselves, then do we truly have the Spirit of Christ in us? That's really the question we must ask ourselves today. Well, Jesus gets to Simon Peter. We don't know how many other disciples' feet he had washed before he got to Simon. But Simon looked down and says, Lord, you go wash my feet? And Jesus said, you may not understand what I'm doing right now, but you will in the hereafter. And Simon gets this pious attitude and says, Lord, not in a million years are you going to touch my feet. You're not going to wash my feet. Could he may have been feeling that he should have been the one washing his master's feet, which he should have. He should have at least realized that Jesus was over him and that as a servant of Jesus, he should have at least seen that there was a need that was going undone, unmet, and washed his own master's feet. But here is the master washing his disciples' feet. Now, we all know that Peter speaks before his brain gets in gear, right? Well, think about it, Peter. Would Jesus ever do anything that was wrong? Think about it. Would Jesus ever do anything that was wrong? So if Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, then there must be something right about it. So quit trying to be pious. Quit trying to act like you're above all this, that you don't want your master washing your feet, and get over it. And so Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have any part of me. Any part of me. Peter started realizing what Jesus was really talking about. And we're going to get to the point of that in just a moment. So Peter goes overboard and says, not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And now we look at the righteous part. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to them, 
He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Not all of those disciples were already clean because he knew that Judas had not been a follower, but a fake follower. He knew that Judas was not a believer. But what Jesus is saying is this. Let's, let's do the analogy. If anybody was a guest to the Passover meal, you know good and well that they have taken a bath. They have cleansed themselves. They're, they have cleansed their body and even their clothes so they would be presentable to go to the Passover feast. So anyone who comes to the Passover feast, well, they didn't have cars, they didn't have buses, they didn't have any mode of transportation other than walking or possibly riding a, an animal. But most people, especially in a community, in a village, in a town, would walk from one place to another. Now, typical footwear was sandals. Open where your feet were exposed. They didn't have nice paved uh, roads. They didn't have nice cement sidewalks. They had dirt packed. And so when you walked the streets to get to your destination, your feet got dirty just from the dust that got kicked up. So since they basically wore long clothes that would go down to about the ankles and long sleeves, as they walked in, most of the time they did a ceremonial cleansing of their hands. Most of the time somebody poured oil over their head. But for whatever reason, nobody ever washed the feet. So that's the only part that's still dirty. And so that's why the feet needed washing. But the rest of the body was cleansed. Now let's look at this spiritually. If you're a child of God, you have been washed by the blood of Christ. His death on the cross, the blood that he shed, the sacrificial death that he died for us was the power to give us salvation and eternal life. If you are a true child of God, a believer of Jesus Christ, a surrendered child to him, then you have already been cleansed. Your sins have been forgiven. You have become made righteous in the sight of God by the covering of the righteousness of Christ upon you. And you are saved and eternally saved. Nothing can take that away from you. And you have God's gift of eternal life. Okay. For me, that happened, goodness, 50-something years ago. I haven't sinned since then, have I? Have you? God eternally cleansed me when I gave my life to him. But I have still sinned since then. And you have too. What do we do about the sin that still inhabits us? The sins that we still commit on a daily basis pretty much. That sin is not taking away our salvation or our gift of eternal life. But it still must be dealt with. Here's the situation. The longer we go without dealing with sin, the more sin piles up in our lives. The more we ignore the sin in our lives, the less God has influence in using us for his honor and glory. The longer and the more sin that builds up, the less in tune we are to the spirit of God working in us and through us. And the more sin builds up in us, 
the less of a testimony we have and the more harm we're doing to the gospel of Christ. So what Jesus is betraying here is that by the washing of your feet, it is taking care of the sins that we continue to commit in our daily lives. We're already cleansed all over by the blood of Christ. We're already saved eternally by his death, burial, and resurrection. But we continue to sin, and that's the dust on the feet. And without cleansing the dust off of our feet, that dust, that dirt, that sin continues to accumulate and begins to affect how we can be used by Christ. I don't know how many times I've quoted it, but I'm going to quote it one more time. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you don't have it memorized or highlighted in your Bible, you need to. Powerful verse. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Spiritually speaking, when we sin... And when we confess our sins, we are having the dust of our feet washed away. That makes us righteous. Look at this again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. Cleansing the feet, cleansing our sin, cleansing us from all of our unrighteousness. That makes us what? Pure and holy to stand in the very presence of God again. Now, we've already been saved eternally. Nothing can take that away from us. But what do we do with our daily sin? Do we take it seriously? Do we realize that we have dirty feet? Spiritually. If not, then we're doing a disservice to God. Because guess who is wiping our feet when we confess our sins. He, God, is faithful. That's who cleanses us from our unrighteousness. God is still humble in ministry. Now, verses 11 through 16, a lesson for us to follow. What are we to do? Obedience. We've already dealt with Jesus' humility. We've dealt with the issue of righteousness, the cleansing of the feet, cleansing us of our sins. Now, here's what Jesus does. Verse 11, he begins by uh, saying that I knew the one who was... uh, Let me pick up verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garment and reclined at the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? He's not expecting an answer because he doesn't give them time. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you're right for so I am. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did. Truly, truly, very, verily. This is important. Listen, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Are you greater than Jesus? If Jesus humbled himself in all of his ministries to the needs around him, what is he expecting us to do? 
He's expecting us to get off our high horse, to swallow our pride, to get out of our pious mentality, and to do likewise. Now, I have shoes and socks on, so my feet shouldn't be dusty. If we were in that situation where everybody came into a building with dusty, dirty feet, we may practice foot washing. That's not what this is talking about, the physical act of foot washing. What it's talking about is get humble and see the needs of ministry around you. And don't worry about what other people think if you humble yourself and minister to a need. God is the only one that matters. And he is the one that set the example for us to follow. If it wasn't important, he would not have set this example. He would not have shown us and then said, do this likewise. And so we as children of God must never see ourselves as so important that we're not willing to minister to others by even getting on the floor, bowing before them, and doing something physical. I've seen some of y'all do little acts. Just walking across the parking lot and seeing some trash and picking it up and and making sure that our, our lawn stays clear. Just little things like that. And I know that so many of y'all do so many things behind the scenes. And you're not looking for applause. You're not looking for recognition. You're not expecting anything in return. You are truly ministering this way. See, the difference is, am I doing something to be seen and to receive praise and to receive some type of physical or public reward? No. If we're doing that, then there's no humility in it. God simply wants us to serve him. So, surely all the disciples knew all this already. Surely they were already humble, weren't they? Well, John doesn't record this, but James and John, in another gospel, at this very meeting, were arguing as to who would be first in the kingdom of God. Imagine that. Do you think this message was important? Do you think his disciples needed to hear it? Obviously they did. They did. Jesus' actions are in total contrast to our self-importance, to our pious way of looking. Folks, I don't care what position you have in society. As a child of God, we need to practice humility. And minister to the lowest of the low. That's what Jesus did through his entire ministry. And that's what he wants us to do as well. Jesus not only taught the lesson. See, it's one thing for Jesus to have sat among a group of people and said, this is what you ought to do. But then he never did it. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus taught the message verbally and also physically. He lived it out. That's what he wants us to do. What reward are we going to get? Well, obviously, we're not looking for something tangible. Last verse of Scripture, you read it. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Blessed. What's the word blessed mean? Well, that means that your bank account gets a little bit bigger. That means that your name is in neon lights. Look at what he did. No. Being blessed, simply this. You sense the power of the presence of God in your life. 
You also know the power of his presence through his Holy Spirit. You know his peace and comfort that passes all understanding. You have experienced his unconditional love as he has forgiven you of your sins. And you realize that he continues to want to love you even to the end. He continues to wash your feet, washing away the filth of our sins every day that we confess them. That's the blessing that we receive. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, as we come before you today, Lord, every one of us has a pride issue. Lord, we all have a problem with self-importance. Lord, we've learned it from this world. Lord, our world tells us that we need to always be the best. We always need to outdo everyone else. We always need to be seen as someone of a great importance. If we're not the first, we need to be striving to be the first. Lord, we're always trying to be better than we really are. Lord, humble us. Help us to realize that that's not your way. It's not your will. Never has been. Jesus set the perfect example with his life. Always ministering to the down and out. Always stooping to help others. And Lord, even in this last day of his life. Lord, He's showing again humility. Lord, one of the last things that the disciples will remember is his example of humility. Lord, today, may this picture be seared in our own minds of the humbleness of Christ and that he wants us to do likewise, to minister to whatever needs are around us without any attention as to what we may gain by doing so. Lord, we're not doing it for self. We're doing it for service. Lord, we're no greater than Jesus. So we need to quit acting like we are. May we be found faithful in serving through your Spirit, no matter the cost, no matter how humbling it may be. Because Jesus did something even more humbling. He allowed himself to be nailed to a cross, most humiliating form of crucifixion, of execution known to man, died for us so that we might live with you. Guide us, Lord. Use us in whatever way you desire without any piousness that would keep us from doing it. May we accept your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.